And did the girls do an amazing job? Let's give them a great round of applause. I, I told one of the gals, I said, that took a lot of courage and a lot of practice. Uh, and I don't know in what order, but she goes, yeah. Uh, but I, I just thought, I was so proud of them, so awesome. The title of the lesson today is, Many Are Strong at the Broken Places. And I was reading a book uh, last year, or this year, I don't remember when, but I was reading a book, and I, it was, this qu quote was in there, and it intrigued me, so I went and looked it up, and I thought, this would make a great sermon sometime. And I, when I have ideas, I'll say into my phone, sometimes I'm riding my bike, and I'll say, hit Siri, sermon illustration, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's put in wrong. But anyway, uh, this was one of those where I had this in my file, and I thought this would be really cool to develop. But this whole idea, many are strong in the broken places. You know, we spend our life trying to look good. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I'd rather wear a shirt that is, looks nice than that has a stain on it. I'd rather be fit than non-fit. You know what I'm saying? And, and we spend our lives trying to look good. The yard look good. Our hair look good. Our teeth hopefully look good. Uh, we look good on our jobs. We look good at how we present ourselves. And there's different levels of looking good. But we work hard to keep it together. And yet there is nobody that has it together. Sorry. You already knew that anyway. But look at this quote here from Ernest Hemingway. It says this. It's deep. You can go study it out on your own. It's from the book Farewell to Arms. It says, the world breaks everyone. Amen? And afterward, many are strong at the broken places. But those that will not break it, those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave and partially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too. But there will be no special hurry. And I thought, what a great quote. And um, you can go back and read what it means in, in the context of the story. But I thought, what a great quote. That the reality is the world breaks everyone. Life breaks everyone. Life happens for everyone. And when you're young, you feel invincible. But let me just tell you, young people, you will be tested just like us old people are tested. And uh, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. But he says, afterwards, many are strong. He doesn't say all are strong at the broken places. And my hope today is we do a Bible study today. My hope is that it will give you a lot of hope about some of the areas in your life where there's broken parts, that that could become some of your strongest parts. Isn't that encouraging? And then that's who God is. You know, um, let, let's talk a little bit about symptoms of brokenness. Uh, there's somebody looking at an x-ray, uh, you know, trying to see what's going on inside. And I thought about this, that... Being, having broken parts, and let me just say this for the half of the audience to three quarters. Having broken parts inside of us doesn't mean there's something wrong with us, or we're defective, or we're bad. Let me repeat that for all that are accused, and then all that are deceived that they're not accused. Just because we have broken parts doesn't mean we're bad, or defective, or less than. It means that we are in the human race. We're fallen, and those very broken places are what, if we're a Christian, drew us to look for something, and that something ended up being God. 
And it's those very same broken places that draw us back to God over and over and over. In fact, once you go into cruise control as a Christian, you are heading towards the cliff. You'll glaze over. You'll start bringing an invisible large tub of popcorn to church each week. And church will just become something you do in your culture and your little, you know, norms of life. And you'll just kind of sit back, eat your popcorn, be entertained by the music, by the sermon, and not transform from season to season of life, except on the outside. Some of the symptoms of broken parts. You know, a lot of times we don't even know what's going on. In fact, that's why we go to the doctor, and that's why they take pictures with all different types. You know, CAT scan, MRI, X-ray, to look. And I even thought about with all of our technology, man, that's still really hard to figure out what's going on in there, you know. You just wish they could take a picture and it looked exactly like what's going on inside, but, you know, who knows. But there's a doctor studying it, trained to know what in there is broken, what in there is off. And, you know, even though we don't know often what's going on, usually how we conduct ourselves in our relationships with other people show us where our broken parts are. You say, why is that? Well, you think about this, and people have told me this before, Marco, I don't have a problem with God, it's just people. Or I don't have a problem with God, I just don't like church. Well, that's a cop-out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Our Christianity comes out completely when we're interacting with people. And that's why the Bible talks so much about, hey, if you're going to love God, then how do you conduct yourself with other people? If you're going to love God, how do you treat other people? And you know where it's the hardest? With the people that you're the closest to, that live in your home, because that's where you're the most yourself. You know, um, but when we see patterns in our relationships that causes pain in others from us, we realize something's broken or needs our attention. And I'll tell you, as a guy, it's even harder to connect the dots about something being broken in us. Because it's hard for us to separate something's broken in me to I'm less than or I'm weak. Can I get an amen? And, and as a guy, when we're asked, how are you feeling? If it's not hungry, tired, angry, fine. If it's deeper than that, sometimes we're like, ah, oh, you know, if I put on my thinking, my feeling cap, I don't have many. I don't even know. In fact, many counselings, you'll say, so how, they'll say, how are you doing? And you'll turn to your wife, men, right? And say, honey, how are we doing? Uh, you know, you got to go through the, the feelings barometer first. So it's harder for even us to figure out something's going on or broken in the inside. You know, I've had the privilege of working on some broken parts of me over the last two years. It's been ugly, uncomfortable, painful. Um, but the results and the fruits of it in my marriage in my family, in my relationship with God, in my relationship with people, in my viewpoint, in my spiritual maturity have been incredible. Now, and I figured out about this, I like the fruit, I don't like the farming. And I like the soundness, I don't like the building part of it. And we're going to do a study on Peter today, and this is going to be so cool. We're going to have a feast in the Word of God. So I'm going to ask you, no, put away your invisible buttered popcorn, even if it's a small one. Just put it on the floor. Don't have any more till the end. I want you to read the Word along with me. And the reason is, every story, if you're a Christian, you've already heard before. But even as I study these things out, one of the things that builds my faith is I go, wow, I never saw that. That's a really cool insight. And so let's look at the Word of God together. We're going to get into Luke 5 after I just show you two verses on the screen. So on the screen right here, 
we see this guy, Peter. And we're going to do a study on Peter today. And we're going to look at a good number of verses in his interactions with Jesus. But I want to start out at the beginning a little bit. Andrew was a disciple. Okay. And Andrew uh, was a disciple of John the Baptist. John was the rabbi. Andrew was his student. And Andrew, John the Baptist was preparing his way, the way for Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and he tells his guys, the dude has arrived. I mean, think about it. Uh, by the way, remember the Messiah that we've been reading about, talking about, he's here. What do you mean he's here? He's over there. And so there's this whole interaction, go read John chapter 1, where, you know, John's pointing to Jesus. Andrew meets Jesus and it says the first thing Andrew did, here's a little evangelism freebie, was find his brother Simon. So Simon wasn't even a follower, a disciple, maybe even spiritually seeking. But Andrew saw something in Peter that made him go, I got to get Peter. I mean, I got, this is going to get Peter, and I got to get Peter. And if Peter was just a follower, he would be so much better. And Peter's so powerful, he's just off the hook. If I could just get Peter to Jesus. And so he comes to him and he says, we have found the Messiah. Can you imagine Peter's face? That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. That's what we do when we share our faith. We're bringing people to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. And you'll see this, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter all through this study that is just interesting. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon. In Hebrew, you ready? Shimon. Which means he has heard. That God, God has heard. God answers prayers. God's blessed you. But you will be called Cephas, or Petros in Greek, which means um, rock or rock man. You think about that. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was already a masculine, aggressive, you could see it in all of his interactions, a confrontive, outspoken. He was a man's man. He wore a baseball cap and a cowboy hat. And a belt buckle. Not all at the same time. That would be weird. But he was a man's man already. And so when he meets Jesus, he's got in his mind how this is going to go. He's, you know, it's just the Messiah. And he's on his best behavior. And Peter looks right at him. So you're Simon, huh? All the, you're the guy that Andrew's been bragging on. And he just pauses. I'm going to call you Cephas. Rock man. And you know, as a guy, you're like, yeah. I already am, but if you want to just notice it, uh, recognize it. You know what I mean? Little did he know what he was getting into. Okay, we're going to backtrack a little bit on this verse, then we're going to jump into the, kind of the meat of our study. Luke 20, verse 16. And I'm going to tell a lot of stories about the Scripture, and then we're going to hone in. In Luke 20, if you read the whole chapter, which we're not going to, Jesus was teaching and proclaiming the good news in the temple. And it was so powerful. It was so... Uh, it, it creates such a resonance with people. It, it's, it so much convicted them, inspired them. It, this is true. They started gathering around them. And the other religious leaders that didn't have that influence got angry. And so they come up to Jesus and say, what authority do you have to be doing this? And he, all he was doing was preaching. Who gave you this authority? And, and then he goes on and he just tr tricks them a little bit, not deceitfully, but just puts it back on them. They can't answer. He goes, well, then I'm not going to answer you. And then he goes right into a parable. And he goes into a parable talking about himself. And he gives this example of a vineyard. 
And he says, there's a vineyard. This guy owns it. He's got people working at it. He, it's time to pay rent. He sends the messenger to come, a servant of his to go get rent. They kill him. Beat him up. They send another one. Send another one. Finally, he goes, you know what I'm going to do? And this is a very powerful line in the Bible. He says, perhaps, I'm going to send my son. Perhaps they will respect my son. And that really is a message for you and I today. That this is all about respecting Jesus. This is all about us submitting ourselves to entrust to his authority, his lordship in our lives. And he says out loud, it's a parable, perhaps they will respect my son. As, as the son walks up to the vineyard, they go, this is the heir. This is the guy. If we kill him, we'll get everything. And so they kill him. And Jesus is telling this parable. And it says, when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. It's amazing how self-righteous we can get. What? He said, may this never be. And here's Jesus again looking directly at somebody. Jesus looked at them directly and said this. Then what is the meaning from Psalm 118? What is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, quoting Isaiah 8. But, on he, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The capstone is the cornerstone. And a mason, what he would do is he'd be building a building, and the first thing he'd need is the capstone, the cornerstone, a stone that was a perfect 90-degree angle to build the first two walls off. And so there'd be a pile of rocks, and maybe some kids would come and get the rocks and bring them, and then the, the mason who knew what he was doing would go, mm, that, put that in a pile, that's a good wall stone. Mm, that's a good sidewalk stone. Mm, that's a good wall stone. And, and looking for the perfect stone. Jesus says the perfect stone came, and you went, mm, into the trash heap. We can't use that stone for anything. And he says, everyone, and then he quotes another passage from the Old Testament. You can go study it out. Everyone who falls on that stone, referring to Jesus, will be broken to pieces. But on he on whom it falls will be crushed. Many scholars don't really know what that verse means. All that they say is, it's going to be either really bad or bad. I just want to say, I kind of see it as God... When you try to follow God, you get broken up. It's, it's hard. When you try to make Jesus Lord, not just at baptism, but all throughout your life, you trip all the time. You stumble all the time. And God specializes in broken pieces. And there's a difference between getting broken, falling to pieces, stumbling over the teachings of Jesus, stumbling over lordship, and then getting up and waving your fist at God. And there's a difference between that and stumbling and over... the the teachings of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, and getting up and saying, hey, can you help a brother out here a little bit? This is really hard. I, I'm having a hard time with these broken pieces. And so I, I want us to kind of think about this today. Will I stumble on the stone or let it fall on me? Will I stumble on the stone? Because you're all going to stumble. It's hard to follow Jesus. We all have broken parts even before we stumble over the stone. But will I just stumble over it, get back up, and dialogue with Jesus? Or will I just get up and say, I don't know what's going on. Why are people against me? Why is life so hard? Why is this Christianity thing so, I don't like this. I don't like that. Why is this? Why is that? And in time, he says, the stone's still, you're still going to have to answer to the authority of Jesus. But I would rather do that while I'm broken and stumbling over it than being crushed by the stone. So let's talk about how Simon became Peter. Look at Luke chapter 5. How did Shimon become Cephas? How 
did he who has heard, he has heard, become rock man? Peter already thought, Simon already thought he was Peter. Jesus was showing him he wasn't. Look at Luke chapter 5, if you would with me. In Luke 5, verse 1, it says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. He sought the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will. There's that authority thing. I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat, other boats to come and help them. And they began to fill both boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. So he was obviously out of the water now. He's not going to fall on his knees in the boat. He fell at Jesus' knees. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they were taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, Peter was a man willing to stumble over the stone and get back up and deal with himself. And Christianity is all about dealing with yourself. Once you stop dealing with yourself, you have just become petrified rock. Not rock man, petrified rock. Once you stop dealing with your heart, your faith is dying. It's going from just faith to an intellectual understanding of theological things. Doesn't even sound inspiring. And Peter... Though he stumbled, and you see these, the Bible's so cool how it lets us kind of peer in the window in between two blinds into this dialogue between Jesus and Peter over and over and over again. And Peter, I believe, though it was painful, he wanted to be strong at the broken places. And I believe you want to be strong at the broken places. You don't want to just have the same patterns. You don't want to just ignore things that are painful because they just keep coming back. Christianity takes faith at any stage of the journey. Here's one of the things he was broken by. Self-realization. Self-realization. Peter had a way of doing things. The world calls it, it's in usually, I think, Time Magazine, CW, Conventional Wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, and the arrow's up or down. God's wisdom is not always conventional wisdom. Sometimes it is, because they stole it from God. But often it's not. Conventional wisdom says it's hot out, so dress with less clothes, and the more you can get guys to look at you, ladies, the better you'll feel about, feel about yourself. The more you can show skin, conventional wisdom, the more you'll feel secure and attractive because you're attracting and now, you know, and it's attractive, you know, it's all kind of wrapped up. But the reality is, the more that happens, the less you respect yourself and the less secure you feel. And then the spiral just goes down. That's conventional wisdom. Just one piece. There's all kinds. Um, you know, I had to confess on the way to church today, I felt tempted. 
I was, um, riding, I was riding down, you know, my PV coming down the back, and I saw a garage sale and cyclists, and I thought, wouldn't it, I mean, just Satan, okay, come on. I thought, wouldn't it be nice just to have Sundays completely off? Have you ever thought that? Okay, you guys, the honest crowd over here. Uh, okay, I'll talk to you guys. Have you ever felt that, where you just, I literally thought, because I'm a cyclist, and I saw a garage sale, and I'm like, okay, this, there's some nice stuff there, and I bet I'll, you know, just this stupid, weird, I love coming to church, but I just thought for a second, wouldn't it be just nice to be like the world and answer to no one or nothing and just kind of Sundays, baby, that's all about me, lazy boy, you know, just <laughs> conventional wisdom. Looks good just for a second, for a second. See, Peter had to realize doing things our way often doesn't work. Sometimes it does, but usually not. And it's overwhelming to us when we realize, let me just come up close to tell you this. It is overwhelming to us to realize how willful we can be. And if you're thinking about somebody else, look at me. Seriously, it's overwhelming to us when when we just get a glimpse in the mirror of, oh gosh, am I that rebellious in my heart? Am I that that proud? Am I that willful? I, I follow God. And Peter realized, he had some self-realization. Jesus said, after he heard Jesus' sermon, hey, go back out and fish again. (laughs) Come on, really? But he, he, he did something that's awesome for all of us strugglers. Because you say so, I don't want to, but because you say so, what? I will. And it doesn't matter where we're at in the meantime. Like, oh, I don't want to. But it's where we end up. Because you say so, I will. Church, if we could just get that down, don't worry about how you present yourself. If you could just get down because you say so, God, I will. It's amazing how God can work in us and fix that pride in us and that willfulness. When Peter saw how deep and natural it ran in him, he just got overwhelmed now with self-pity. It's just go away from me. You wouldn't want to use me. You wouldn't want to work with me. You don't know what I did last night. And you don't even know what I was thinking when you told me to go out and fish some more. Just, you couldn't fix me. I'm jacked up. And he's like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come on, fall on this stone. It's okay. I'm going to do something so much greater with you, Peter. You have no idea. Put the silly nets down. Put the boat. We're going to go change the world. We are. You're going to go fish for people now. Even when he said that, Peter's like, what? People in the net? Like, you know, just, just. But what he's saying is, Peter, I've called you to something so much higher than conventional wisdom. And that's what God does for us today. If we're willing to be broken by self-realization and look at ourselves and be strong in that broken place. Where are you willful today? Where are you filtering? You know, I've been having individual conversations with the singles about their contribution and about missions. And I've asked them a couple questions. I've said, so do you believe in world evangelism? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, why didn't you give to missions? I said, do you realize that missions is one of the only things you do that you get nothing back till heaven? This is not an amount because you could give $20 to missions. You can spend $20 at Starbucks like that with two people. But to not give anything, it's just like, I don't care. Willful. They'll figure it out. They'll, they'll, they'll just figure it out. They'll just get more non-full-time people to lead two, three hundred people. And it's not my problem. I have air conditioning. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, 
And I've been kind of trying to be more, hey, so how come we talked about this with the contribution? Why am I having a fourth talk with you where you nod your head yes, and then you go do something else? Like, what's going on in your heart? Where's your sensitivity to the fear of God? Gina talked to me today. She says, Marco, if I could change one thing in the church, the lateness. And she challenged me too. So I'm with you, okay? I can't come across the thing. There'll be feedback. But I'd see sitting there preaching to myself. She said, it's like accepted. It's like people won't be late to work because you get fired, you get docked, you get this, you get that. But church, yeah, you get there when you get there. It's a, she goes, Marco, it's a reverence issue. It's a disease. Come on, church. Let's get some self-realization. Let's not be willful. Let's be will-directed towards Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 21. The Bible says this. You know, Jesus is uh, giving these guys a little devotional. It's a tough one. And then you realize it's about you. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. Matthew 16, 21. And on the third day be raised to life. Could you imagine if you were one of those 12, what you'd be thinking? What? Why would you do that? You do, you're the miracle worker. How, no one can stop you. You're the man. You walk on water. You feed people. You heal people. You just poof this, that. What are you talking about? So they're hearing the words they're not registering. Peter goes, all right, we're going we're to solve this. He pulls Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Wow. And, you know, I don't know the tone. I don't know the way he looked at Jesus, but it was a rebuke, which means it was at the top. Never, Lord. And they may have dialogued before he got to that. Hey, Lord, I know you were talking about all that stuff. I don't think it has to be that way. I, you know, the guys and I were talking. Can we talk about this? Because you've got some serious... I don't know what the dialogue was, but he got to a point, almost like Jesus was saying, stop it, stop it. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned. There's that turning looking again. And said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, if your spouse called you Satan, and if you have, you're forgiven <laughs> by Jesus, not by me. If your spouse called you Satan, that'd be rough. If your roommate called you Satan, that'd be rough. If you called yourself Satan, that would be rough. But if Jesus looked at you as loving as he is, as accepting as he is, as non-judgmental as he is, as just, he always knows what to say and do. He says, get behind me, Satan. Wouldn't you be a little uh, insecure, <laughs> uncomfortable? Jesus said to him, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he just turns away from Peter. Peter's over there like a dog. You know, just, he's hurting. I'd be hurting so bad. It says, then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, it's like he turned away from Peter. And he goes, let me talk to the rest of you and the crowd. Whoever wants to be my disciple, this is for us guys, must deny himself, themselves, and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, I'm not stumbling over that stone. I'm not stumbling over that stone. I'm not going to get broken. I don't, I, I, I'm together. I got it all together. I'm in control. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever's willing to lose their life for me, be willing to be broken on the stone, will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Self-preservation. You want to follow Jesus? I want to follow Jesus? You will suffer. You'll suffer with your family. You'll suffer with your own conscience. You'll suffer with temptations. You'll suffer at work. You'll suffer at different times with different things that happen to you or are not happening for you. You will suffer. If you want to follow Jesus and keep a good heart, the Bible says you've got to be willing to stumble over that stone and work it out and get back in there. Otherwise, you'll just get whirling in your thinking and then you try to be a stumbling block for spiritual people like Peter was. We've got to not try to preserve ourselves, but embrace the ups and downs of life. John 13, this is a really short one. John 13, verse 6. This is the night before Jesus is going to die. I don't know about you. I get anxious the night before an exam. I get anxious the night before getting on a plane. I, get, I mean, there's a lot of things. But what would you be thinking the night before you knew tomorrow I'm going to be, capital punishment's going to be performed on me in the worst possible way? In fact... Uh, you know, I think I shared this last week, if I did, or a couple weeks ago, if I didn't, please, for, if I did, please forgive me. They would take a criminal, and they would condemn a Roman, they would not put a Roman citizen on the cross, so they'd strip away their rights first and make him a slave. Then they'd crucify him. It said in the Old Testament that anybody that's been hung on a tree is cursed. It's the worst. What would you be thinking about the night before? And Jesus, in John 13, it says, he, he, you know, love those that, were, that, Jesus, that God had given him, and now he was going to show them the full extent of his love. And so he did what a slave did. You walk in someone's house, you have sandals on all the time, your feet are always dirty, you don't even look at the slave. So I walk in, I come in, you know, I come to see Brock. Hey, Brock, how's it going? And I just put my feet, foot out there for Maureen. Maureen just grabbed, and I'm not even, it's like she doesn't even exist. She doesn't do that one. She get, hey, can you get this toe jam? And then, uh, we, you know, turn the other one around, and that's it. I mean, that's kind of what it was. And so Peter's in line, and he comes around to him, and Jesus is washing their feet, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. I don't want to feel that dependent on you. I don't want, you to, I don't want to be that vulnerable with you. You know, one of the things I learned about myself is I thought that I really understood the grace of God. And you go, Marco, do you ever? No, you don't. But I thought I understood it more than I did. And I realized that there was a part of me that felt very loved by God, totally favored by God, totally accepted by God, and totally delighted by God. But then there was a deeper part of me that felt like I had to perform for God. God, if I do this, then you'll like me. If I do this more, you'll like me even more. If I do this really, really well, isn't that stressful? If I do this really, really well, then you'll really be big on me. It kind of was all mixed in the same internal theology, not intellectual. You know what I'm saying? And it was really hard for me and really um, challenging for me on a vulnerability level to go, do I want to depend on God that much? Like, what if he's not there for me? Like, it was almost sub. I didn't realize it. And that's kind of what was happening with Peter. Peter's like, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. And look what he says. He comes to Simon Peter, are you going to wash my feet? He says, he came to Simon Peter, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now. What a dialogue. What I'm doing. But later, you will understand. No, said Peter. There he is arguing again. You shall never wash my feet. Never. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. If you're not willing to get that vulnerable with Jesus, 
You can't have any of it. Now, God's gracious in our journey. But there's a part of me that I want to rely on myself. Even though it's an illusion, even though it's false, even though it's silly. Because, I mean, I've let myself down so many times. But it's kind of a fear of, well, will God really be there for me? And if we're going to be strong at the broken places, we have to be able to be okay and be broken in our self-reliance and be vulnerable. Matthew 26, verse 31. This is a scripture especially for the guys. Almost done here, folks. You still there? Here we go. Matthew 26, verse 31. Jesus is doing another devotional. This one is even slightly more challenging. Then Jesus told them, this very night, so it's like after the Lord's Supper, after the, maybe after the foot washing, this very night, uh-huh, uh, you will all fall away on account of me. And let me just even give you some scripture to back it up. And he goes to the Old Testament. And he quotes this verse. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He goes, as strong as you think you are, ha, no, you're going to all abandon me, my best friends. But after I've risen, there's hope, he says, I will go ahead of you. I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. I'll, I'll take you back. Peter, there's Peter and Jesus having that dialogue again. Peter replied, okay, let me say something right here, fellas. Even if all these jokers fall away, when you need me the most, Jesus, on the account of you, I never will. Jesus dialogues back, looks right at him. He goes, all right, Peter, you want me to get straight with you? Yeah, truly I tell you. You, by the way, <laughs> tonight, before even the rooster crows in the morning, in the next number of hours, you're going to deny me, disown me, three times in a row. And look what Peter declared. Oh, no, 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 Lord. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then all the other disciples said the same. They were like, yeah, 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 yeah. What he said. You know, we're not, our confidence needs to come from God. I haven't totally figured that out. I just know it's right. We've got to get our confidence from God. Peter's confidence was in himself. His heart, I think, was in the right place. But he was, there was a brokenness by the, the self-confidence because there's a story in the Bible, in the Gospels, where Peter's right there. He's trying to do it. He's in the courtyard. He sees Jesus all beaten and being led away. And it says, go look it up. It says, then Jesus looked back. You know, looked directly at Peter. They just met eyes, didn't say anything. And it says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He realized, I'm not as strong as I think I am. You know, we're not as strong as we think we are. And there, you could take, you could do that, take that concept and go, oh, I knew that already. Why did you have to remind? Or we can go, I just need God more. I need God more. Last verse here in John 21. And this, if you look, this is all kind of chronological. You know, Jesus had died, buried, resurrected. They're still trying to figure out what he's doing. And they got discouraged. And Peter says in verse 3, I'm going out to fish, said Simon. And they all told him, well, we'll go with you. But they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Isn't that how God does it with us? Try to do things our way. We shrink back. It doesn't work out. And then Peter, they're out there. They're coming in. Jesus, they don't realize it's Jesus at the shore. Jesus yells, friends, do you have any fish? No, it's been a rough. That sounds familiar. Friends, try the other side of the boat. And Peter gets so excited, he takes off his robe, and he jumps in the water, and he just starts, like a kid, just starts swimming to the shore. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. 
Can you imagine that reunion, the hugging, they're all wet, he's all wet, and Jesus is over there just turning the little filet of fish, you know, getting ready to serve them. And it was so intimate, it was so special, and it was so, why did Jesus have to mess it up? It's going so good. They're talking, laughing, he's back, we're going to be reestablished. And then there's another devotional, and another dialogue. And in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these, this fishing, your lifestyle, you being in control? Oh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, really? I, I, I want to just ask you again. Do you, Simon, son of John, not calling him Peter anymore, do you love me? How have you been conducting yourself? What's in your heart? Again, he says, Lord, yeah, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me though? Really? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he goes on to tell them, when you were young, you did things your way. When you're old, someone else is going to dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. That's the Christian life. And that was Jesus prophesying his crucifixion. And Peter went on to be crucified by voluntarily, tradition has it, upside down. And Jesus, Peter's struggling. His emotions are all over the place. He's reflecting on what Jesus is saying. I thought it was cool. We were having fish. You called me in. We hugged. We left. It was a barbecue. What, what are you doing? You're messing me up. And so he just, out of confusion and out of all the turmoil, he goes, well, what about him? What about John? Why has it got to be me? Trying to not stumble over the stone. You know, we ha when we reflect on ourselves and We've got to learn how to process disappointment in ourselves and with others versus I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I want to do. And our tendency for all of us is to lean into who we used to be and to be comfortable to just slowly drift back to I'm a, I have the form of a disciple, but my heart and my actions don't really have that type of responsiveness anymore. And Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, there's going to be a cost that you know nothing about. I'm just going to close here with this story and a, practical, a few practicals for you to take home. This is the Swiss Alps right there. And <clears throat> there was this group of scientists and botanists that were exploring some of the most remote regions of the Alps. And they were looking for a new species of flower. And one day they noticed through the binoculars, off in the distance, down in a ravine, this flower of such rarity and beauty to that its value to science was incalculable. But the problem was it lay in a deep ravine with cliffs on both sides. And the, the adults were too big. And, and so to get the flower, they had to lower someone over the rope into the ravine to get that flower. And so they're talking amongst themselves. They're problem solving. They're going, we can't fit. And it wouldn't, we're scientists. Let's find somebody else. And so there was a curious young boy that was kind of watching nearby all these adults, these important people. And the scientist said, hey, buddy. We will pay you well. All you have to do is we're going to tie a rope around you. We'll lower you down. You get that flower. Here, look through the binoculars. It's rare. I mean, you can make a contribution to science here, son. The boy looked, took one look down the steep, dizzy depths, and he says, I'll be back in a minute. And a short time later, he returns with an old gray-haired man approaching the botanist. The boy said, I'll go over that cliff, and I'll get that flower you, but he holds the rope. He's my dad. And I think when we think about dealing with ourselves, we've got to remember who holds our rope. Who's lowering us down in life? 
it can give us that trust to go to those broken places that we never would. Because there's so many scriptures that says and reminds us directly and indirectly that God is good and he can be leaned on and he can be relied on. Will I stumble on the stone? Get back up and deal with Jesus or I let it fall on me. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, for though a righteous man falls, how many times? So that means at time eight, you don't have to get up and, right? No, it's a, it's a figure of speech in the Bible. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked, they're crushed by the stone. They have problems following Jesus. They have problems with the authority of God. And they're brought down by trouble, calamity. A few practicals for you here, and we're done. Rise up. Get up. Look in the mirror. The mirror never what? See, we all know that. Secondly, rise up and admit your weaknesses. Admit your broken parts. If you admit, I have them, I can feel them, I don't even know where to look. But get help. Get in the Word. Get open. If you're studying the Bible, don't just drag it on forever. If you died today, you wouldn't tomorrow go, you know, I did the right thing. I dragged it on. You go, why did I wait? Rise up, admit. Rise again and accept help. And then we've all failed and just been disappointed and struggled. Rise up and just go again and go again, and go again. Let's be the many that are strong at the broken places. Thank you.